Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. This is the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. This week, we're going to bring you inside the twisted tale of Charles Cullen, um, who was dubbed by the papers at the time of his arrest in 2003, the Angel of Death. Oh. Yeah, this is actually the first serial killer we're going to cover on this podcast, Carrie. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Unless you count Julia Tafana. <laughs> uh, yeah, technically very true. Uh, or, you know, I guess unless you count the... Uh, the British royal family, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> unless you count the British royal family. Allegedly. Collectively. Allegedly. Sure. <laughs> Alleged and collective. Uh, so this will be the first, but probably not the last serial killer we'll cover on this um, podcast where we're fascinated by, by the darkness, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, there's no shortage of serial killers to cover. That's true. Uh, Charles Cullen I had heard of, but I was reminded of him recently when I heard that a movie was being made about him. Um, Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain, that is a beige cast. It's it's very ginger, and you gotta wonder why they didn't just throw a wig on Eddie again. There's a That's a very pale, very ginger cast in uh, The Good Nurse on Netflix, which is shooting... Um, this month, I think, in our home state of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what put it on my mind. Now, that movie's based on a book, uh, The Good Nurse, A True Story of Medicine, Madness, and Murder by Charles Graber. Mm, we love an alliteration, don't we? Uh, in true crime, we always do. It's always murder, madness, and mayhem. Murder, madness, and mystery. Big on M's. Yeah. Goes well with the murder. <laughs> like a good cup of coffee. Charles Cullen, uh, Charlie to his friends, and I assure you, he didn't have many friends. So we'll call him Charles. Charles Cullen was a registered <laughs> nurse who killed about 40 victims over 16 years in seven different hospitals, although some estimate his victim count closer to the hundreds. Seven different hospitals? Yeah. That's a big part of this story, actually. Well, he aroused suspicion at most, if not all, of the institutions where he performed his murders, uh, Charles always landed on his feet and found a new job as a lack of communication and accountability in the healthcare industry enabled a decade and a half long murder spree. Yeah, these things are wild. I mean, whenever we have an angel of death kind of situation or a doctor that's very terrible at their job, um, a lot of the time the hospitals are actively covering it up, unfortunately, because they don't want liability. Yes. Now, as you can imagine, as you might imagine, the method uh, of murder in all of these crimes was lethal injection. Okay. From different drugs, um, which we'll get into, uh, including digoxin and insulin. Mm. And the victims in these murders ranged from all the way up in the 90s. I think his oldest victim was 91 years old. But I think his youngest victim was 21 or 22. Oh, geez. And so, well, Charles Cullen claimed a motive of mercy uh, later after the fact, claiming to be saving patients from suffering. I don't know that we can really take him at face value. 
Yeah, were all of these people like terminal or not? <laughs> did they come in for a broken leg and then? Oh. Again, we'll get into it, but not even close. There was one case of like basically severe sunburn that became a murder. Okay, Charles, I think uh, I think you're giving yourself a little extra there, you know? Yeah. It's like it's the just one more drink of murder. Well, that's the serial killer life, isn't it? It's always just one I more drink. I wouldn't know, Sean. <laughs> well, I think as we'll find out, a lot of these serial killers uh, give themselves little permissions that mm-hmm. turn into bigger and bigger permissions. Yeah. And my fascination with the serial killer is always, I assume, lots of people's fascination with the serial killer is uh, these people are the same species as us. How could they be capable of something like that, right? How could you take 40 lives Yeah, and live with yourself? And I think a reason a lot of women particularly are interested in true crime is because women are usually the victims of these kinds of crimes, um, statistically, like, much more than other people. So it's also got that factor of like, this could happen to me. How will I know? How will I see if someone's, you know, about to murder me or whatever? Um, You know, people always make fun. It's like, oh, women love true crime. They love pouring their wine and getting under their blankie and listening to, you know, their true crime podcast, which is true. Yeah, I was going to say, and don't you? But it's made me very aware of things that I wouldn't have thought of before. Right. You know? It's definitely made me act safer. Yeah. Well, Charles Cullen's victims uh, spanned genders, ages, um, races, everything. And indeed, at different times during his career, he was sometimes just randomly dosing bags of IV as he went down the hall. Yeah. You know, these people are supposed to take care of us, right? Our doctors, our nurses. Um, So the idea that you know, our lives are in their hands and the idea that they could just decide to take them away is really horrifying. Yeah. So what kind of person could do something like that? Tell me all about it, Sean. Well, Charles Cullen was born February 20th, 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey, home of uh, Thomas Edison's laboratory, actually. Mm. Cullen was born to a working class Irish Catholic family. Uh, he was the last of eight children. So big family, poor family. and Catholic there wasn't, family. Catholic family. And there wasn't a lot of attention for, for Charlie. Hmm. Uh, his father, Edmund Cullen, was a bus driver who was 56 years old when Charlie was born and died in September of that same year when Charlie was just seven months old. Yikes. He says he had a miserable childhood where he was constantly bullied by both his older sister's boyfriends and classmates at school. Uh, Charlie was also always quiet, withdrawn, and um, depressive, even from a young age. Actually, he made his first of many suicide attempts over the course of his life at age nine. He tried to drink all of the chemicals in his chemistry set. Yikes. Yeah. With the with the specific intention of, if I do this, maybe I'll die. Yes. Trying to end his life. Nine years old. Yeah. So this is, a, and I, I haven't seen records of like any crazy physical abuse, sexual abuse, any of that kind of stuff that you sometimes see with serial killers in their childhoods. Yeah. What was his situation with his mom? Um, doting and overprotective, it seems like. Hmm. She sort of um, shielded him from the world and from his bullies and from his sister's boyfriends, uh, I think, until she died suddenly in a car crash 
December 6, 1977. Charles was 17 at the time and in his senior year of high school. Mm. He described this later as devastating, and it did prompt at least one more suicide attempt. Obviously, that didn't take. <clears throat> didn't take. Um, Charles was most distraught, apparently, that the hospital wouldn't release his mother's body. Uh, they cremated her instead and returned an urn to the family. Which is pretty fucked up. Yeah, I mean, those could have been her wishes, but I don't know. Nonetheless, um, Colin claimed this left him embittered to the hospital system that he would later, of course, end up working inside of. Mm-hmm. But for the time being, Charlie couldn't hack high school. He dropped out and enlisted in the Navy. He served aboard the submarine USS Woodrow Wilson, and he rose uh, up to petty officer second class, so he wasn't doing terribly, uh, and he was assigned the job of operating Poseidon missiles. So future serial killer Charlie Cullen uh, was in charge of, um, you know, arming the missiles and aiming them and, and getting them launched. And what was he uh, shooting them at? Well, this was 1978. I, I don't think they were in an a active war zone, and um, I, I don't think he saw active duty service. So mm -hmm. nothing. But that didn't stop him from sitting at the controls one night, where an officer found him, off shift, sitting in front of the missile controls in a surgical mask, gloves, and scrubs instead of his uniform. Uh-huh. Charlie was unable to explain his behavior or his outfit. And afterward, he was reassigned off of the submarine and uh, onto a supply ship called the USS Canopus. Where did he even get that outfit? Great question. I mean, they must have like a med bay on a submarine because you're out, out of dock. I guess, for... but they're not just giving away scrubs. He went to, I guess he must have gone in, grabbed some scrubs and a mask. Listen, maybe he was foreseeing the COVID-19. You got to have your PPE. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, but what was he going to do? Like, all right, now I got my fit, my drip, and I'm going to launch some missiles. <laughs> some launch some sweet missiles, dude. He couldn't explain what he was doing there. Yeah. Shortly after this, Charlie attempted suicide again. He spent some time in a psych ward and was medically discharged from the military in 1984. At this point, Charlie presumably decided the military life wasn't for him. Yeah, I think he did that when he dressed up in the scrubs and went to launch some missiles. Patient ready for operation, Commander. Such a weird thing to do. He decided to go into a um, lower stakes, lower stress field where he could just kind of kick back and relax. You know, hospital nursing. Yikes. He graduated 1986 from Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing, so he basically enlisted right out of the Navy and uh, uh, graduated just fine. In fact, he was elected president of his uh, class. Mm -hmm. While he was attending nursing school, he also met an Adrienne Baum, and uh, he married her and their daughter Shauna was born, all in the year 1986. Big year. Big year for uh, Charles and Adrian. Maybe Adrian rushed into this relationship, though, because she says soon after she married Charles, she noticed his behavior was strange and that he was very depressive. And uh, she said he was abusive to the family dogs. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Not great. That's a big, more than a red flag, right, Care? That is a whole duvet cover of red flags. 
Charlie would get his first ever nursing job that same year at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey. Charles was uh, assigned to the burn unit, where he says he saw a lot of pain and suffering. Sure, yeah. He did a 60 Minutes interview. Um, let's see, it was 2000, probably 15. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching that, and uh, Charlie says to the reporter that uh, he was put on the burn unit, and he saw lots of pain and suffering, and he goes, uh, and I didn't cope as well as I thought I would. He thought he would cope well? You, and, and also, given the results, Charlie, you think? <laughs> Understatement of the century. He's this um, sort of weaselly looking guy with, with uh, uh, gray, gray hair, um, you know, cut short, but kind of hanging down. And um, he, he just is always, he never looks the interviewer in the eye, ever. It's always, it's always side eye. It's always floor eye. It's always, he's... It's really hard to tell whether he's embarrassed to be there or uh, kind of holding the interviewer in contempt, but there's not like meanness in his voice. I don't know. These serial killer interviews are always... Uh, They're always weird. Weird. <laughs> anyway, Charlie didn't cope as well as he thought he would. And that's what ultimately drove him to take his first life. See, I never understand the kind of like mercy aspect Um you know, you're you're so traumatized by your own loss at a young age, multiple times, and um, traumatized by abuse and and seeing the evils of the world, right? So you're going to inflict that on other people. Like, it's not mercy. It's it's selfishness. It's saying you need to feel as bad as I do. Well, what Charles says is, with all of the pain and suffering and the um, deeply horrifically injured patients on that burn ward. He hated the idea that they would sometimes code, go into cardiac arrest and then be brought back and kept on life support just to suffer more. That's, that's you what Charles what? ask them how they feel about it. Okay. I, I agree with you, but that's what Charles Cullen said was his motivation. It is strange then that this was his first victim. And I think this puts the lie to his, you know, supposed motives there right away. Uh, Cullen's first victim was John Yango, first we know of. Mm -hmm. John Yango, 72 years old when he was admitted to the hospital. He was a New Jersey municipal court judge, actually. He doesn't sound like a very nice guy. He was uh, colorfully known as Maximum John. Yikes. Which is a badge he wore proudly <laughs> uh, for the uh, tough sentences he gave to, gave to offenders. Um, he was a pretty controversial figure, but he was admitted to St. Barnabas with a rare allergic reaction to the sun, I think, or to some medication he was taking or to both. Um, anyway, I think there is medication that can make you more prone to burn, but don't take my word for it. Mm. <laughs> it's something I think I've vaguely heard of before. So well, this is called Stevens Johnson syndrome, and it's basically painful rashes all over the body, like hideously painful, but, but they fade after a couple of days you you need clinical care mainly to manage the pain because it's horrible sure um so john yango probably not having a great time but he checked into the hospital with this skin rash and charles cullen injected his iv bag with a fatal overdose of lidocaine which is a local anesthetic 
Now, is that something he would have been given anyway? Like, I would have expected maybe morphine or... Um, it isn't something that this particular patient probably would have been given. Um, as you say, I don't know if they would be giving you a morphine drip for this, but they would be... Um... I did get morphine once at a hospital for... Um... I had E. coli poisoning, which was a delightful experience, and I was in really terrible pain. I wasn't feeling anything after that, but, I mean, they will give it out fairly regularly, um, as long as you don't have problems with addiction or things like that. I believe lidocaine is more of a local surgical anesthetic, like Novocaine. Right, like you, you inject it into the skin or something. But in this case, Cullen injected it right into... John Yango's IV bag and um, well he just went into cardiac arrest over the course of the next several minutes did he say what made him choose this guy and choose to do this the first time no um, later on Cullen said generally about his victim it's hard it seems hard to pin him down to talk about any one of these murders it's that evasive eyes evasive answers yeah um, doesn't answer anything straight ever it seems like but he did say that he would watch these patients sometimes for days um, going through their whatever, going through their treatment, their suffering, their symptoms. Um, but he said there was never a plan to enact the murder. It was always a spur of the moment thing. And uh, you know what? And he would go and get the drugs and, and uh, shove them in. This isn't cutting bangs, Charlie. It shouldn't be a spontaneous thing. Oh, cutting your bangs should never be a spontaneous thing. No. That's a rash decision. <laughs> it certainly is, but not as rash as murdering a guy. I guess. You guess? The bangs are serious. <laughs> now that patient, you asked whether that patient was supposed to receive lidocaine. Mm -hmm. No. But it's also not a drug that you usually test for in an autopsy. Yeah, and I mean, you would have to specifically be suspecting that, right? And John Yango, I don't have a yes or no for you here, but I don't know that he was autopsied anyway. I don't know if they would have seen it as a suspicious death. Really? Even if he wasn't really supposed to die and he was just supposed to get better in a couple of days? Yeah, no, that, that didn't seem weird. No, you're right. They, I, I'm sure they performed an autopsy on this one but uh, they did not look for lidocaine so hmm. no harm no foul probably just figured he had a heart attack or something nonetheless by the time cullen left saint barnabas they suspected him of poisoning iv bags all over the hospital after half a dozen patients had gone into insulin shock and nearly died one is too many yeah <laughs> Yeah, I would say so. So six? In the 60 Minutes interview, Cullen says the hospital could have had his license investigated and revoked then. And the reporter goes, should they have? And Cullen goes, and it's in this voice. But should they have? Yes. <laughs> you you like, dumbass. You think? Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, I'm a maniac. That's the scary stuff is like the cover up behind it, too. No one ever wants to be liable for these situations, because if they are found liable, it's big money. Yeah. Apparently they were investigating Cullen, but they couldn't put enough evidence together to bring charges or prove anything. And then he just quit, kind of felt the noose tightening and moved on in January of 1992. And um, the hospital dropped it. But he got hired at another one. The they didn't call his references? 
Oh, he got a fine reference from St. Barnabas. From who? Well, I'll, I'll get into why. Who are, I just want to talk. Who are they? I'll get into I'll get into all of that stuff later. But these hospitals all said, uh, uh, yep, yep, good, good nurse. See, that's the point where you go from trying to cover your ass to like being criminally liable for what he does after that. In 1992, Cullen started working at Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and it's here that he would find his first uh, weapon of choice. Because over the course of his time there, he would murder three elderly women with overdoses of the heart drug digoxin. Now, while this was going on, obviously there was some time between these murders, while this was going on, he was uh, a little busy with a contentious divorce from his wife, Adrian. Get out, Adrian. Get out. Uh, yeah, she had had enough of his drinking, his uh, bouts of, uh, you know... Psychosis? Unassailable depression, his <laughs> bouts of psychosis, uh, his verbal abuse, and his just general weirdness. And um, so the two were sharing custody of his daughters while he lived in a uh, small one-bedroom apartment. So he had multiple kids by this point. Yes. Cullen would later claim to detectives that around this time he wanted to quit nursing to get away from the temptation to kill more. Uh, but the child support payments just wouldn't let him. He would have just killed elsewhere. No, I've got to pay. I've got to feed my kids. Yeah, it's my wife's fault. Typical. Yeah, she's she's got a gun to your head making you inject these old ladies with heart medication. Sure. <laughs> He's got, Charles has 99 problems, <laughs> but not any of them are bitches. Um, and if they are, he kills them. Well, he is having some girl problems, though. In March of 1993, he broke into a co-worker's home, a female nurse at Warren Hospital, uh, while she and her young son were asleep there. He left without waking them, but then he stalked her for a period of several weeks. Now, did she know that he had broken in or anything like that? Uh, yes, somehow, uh, because eventually he was uh, charged with stalking and breaking and entering, mm -hmm. trespassing. Um, she uh, obviously eventually filed a police report. That's how he ended up with that charge. And uh, he pled guilty to the trespassing and uh, spent one year on probation. Charles promptly attempted suicide again. You know, these are, this is one of those cases that I'm just like, just make it happen, man. Do I mean, it. it would have been, it would, I, I, there's almost, there's very few people I would say this about. It would have been if a lot better. If you're killing other people, just, just do yourself first. It would have, it would have been a lot better if that nine-year-old had just succeeded in drinking the chemical set. Yeah. That's one sad story. Yeah. After his suicide attempt, uh, Charles did get two months off of work at Warren Hospital uh, and spent some time in two different psychiatric facilities. However, he would have two more suicide attempts before the end of that year. As someone who is experienced in murdering people, it's clear, that he, it's clear that he was not trying very hard. Oh, yeah, right. He, uh, he, he seemed to get it done a pretty good amount of the time. Well, actually, we don't know what his hit rate was like. because we'll, we'll, Sure, we'll, but he knew what to do, right? He's just always not getting it done? I mean, 
I don't believe that. Well, a lot of times, you know, is it a suicide attempt? Is it a cry for help? I don't have the... Oh, obviously this was, but from what you say about him, he also didn't seem very open to anyone on the outside telling him what to do. Nobody, helping. nobody did spend a lot of time institutionalized. I mean, he wasn't against spending some time in a hospital, I, I think, because he did a lot in his life. Well, that's what happens if you attempt suicide and you don't... Die? Die. <laughs> you, you have to go to a hospital? Yeah. Usually. The last of Cullen's three victims at Warren Hospital would be Helen Dean in September of 1993. Uh, Helen was the oldest victim Cullen would ever kill. She was a 91-year-old cancer patient. And uh, Cullen, the day she was scheduled to be released, as her family was was gathering her up, Helen pointed at Charles Cullen and said, that sneaky nurse came in and stuck me in the night. Oh my god. And the family was like, okay, Grandma, all right. And they sort of dismissed it as the ravings of, like, an old lady. Uh, And she died the next day. From what? What did he stick her with? The heart medication? Uh, Well, interestingly, her autopsy didn't show any poisons or suspicious drugs, because autopsies don't test for the heart drug digoxin, (sighs) which Cullen had indeed injected her with the night before he was he had moved on from injecting the iv bags to injecting the patients directly at this point and so one plus one didn't equal two here where it's like oh she died randomly when she was doing better and she said this sneaky man stuck her in the night oh helen's son insisted that the death was not natural and uh made such a stink about it that the hospital uh ran the drug test on on the on the body that showed no suspicious drugs they only did that because he complained and they gave uh, a lie detector test to charles cullen as well as several other nurses on the staff yeah but you could those aren't even admissible in court you could fake those right and the reason they're not admissible in court is because cullen passed that lie detector test and continued working at that hospital until spring of 1994 it's so frustrating He didn't kill anyone, though, because, um, well, he'd already had a close call. So he just waited a few months and moved on again. In 1994, Charles started at Hunterdon Medical Center in Flemington, New Jersey, in the intensive care and cardiac unit. He seems to get assigned to these really intense floors. Yeah, and you would you would wonder if maybe there's some sort of psychological test that is done. I mean, I don't know, but like if you're if you're in like the intensive care or the burn unit and stuff, you would think that there is some sort of psychological component that you'd want to look into before hiring someone. And obviously, he had a history from the army at the very least. So, why does he keep being put in these high pressure, high pain situations? Uh it- I mean, I have speculation on that that I want to save for the end, but it does seem strange that a man who says he couldn't take the stress of this work, right? A a man who, by all outward symptoms, can't take the stress of this work. This guy tries to kill himself like several times a year. Mm -hmm. Um, It's weird that he would be... Right, and they know that. ...continually drawn back to it. Not even that he's drawn back, that he'd be continually hired. After a point, you would think, as as an employer... Oh, this guy keeps on trying to kill himself and ends up in the psych ward. Yeah, well, they, they weren't performing background checks when they hired him. No, but 
isn't he doing this stuff while he's working there too? Yeah. So but, he has to give a reason why he's not going to be in work for the next month, right? I know, but there is. I see where there is a problem where... Now, I understand that there's privacy and, and HIPAA and all that, but it's also like... Well, well but also you can't... You don't want to punish employees for seeking help because... Trust me, I completely understand that. But when he also, when he's also actively killing people, you know. Well, that's when the other shoe drops. Yeah, that's yeah. when you have to step in. Yeah. Oh, mistakes were made. Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to argue. <laughs> Charles with... Cullen, mistakes were made. <laughs> now, Cullen said for his first two years at Hunterdon Medical, he didn't hurt anyone. Oh, good for you. However, by the time the investigation was going on, um, the records for this year had been destroyed by the you know by the time so um who knows what he actually did Mm -hmm. so that was the the first two years Uh, in his last he in his last year at uh hunterdon between january and september 1996 we do know that cullen killed five patients with digoxin injections just like he gave to helen dean you know what autopsies just just test for everything who knows you know well, this test for everything. This is why this is difficult. They're not testing for this drug, and people do die in hospitals, particularly in the intensive care unit. Yeah, but some of these cases where it's like, oh, he had a bad rash. Oh, she was going home that day. Like, that's weird. Especially it, if someone says, this man stuck me in the night. It's like, well, okay. Those patients get flagged, but they're never patients that Cullen's assigned to. Hmm. So these weren't his patients. Never. Okay. And still he, weird. And he also would go to the the hospitals even when he started. I think even in the eighties, even in the late eighties when he started working in hospitals, they had these computerized locks on the drug cabinets mm-hmm. where you'd have to say what you were taking, and then it would open the the cabinet up. But he would just say he was taking like Tylenol. Right. I mean, that's not going to do anything. Right. But still, he, he, if if you suspect a nurse is killing someone, isn't it more likely that he's injecting them with an overdose of some medication than he's injecting them with, like, arsenic or whatever? Here's the other thing. They don't even know if any of their medicines are missing in most cases at this time because they a don't... test for the medicines. They don't keep very good track of their digoxin and insulin supplies because those aren't drugs that people get high from. So they're not worried about them being stolen. You should be worried. Well, now they know. <laughs> uh. So five more murders. Jeez. In 1996, he got a job at Morristown Memorial Hospital, where he was quickly fired for poor performance. And uh, he then spent six months unemployed, during which he completely stopped paying child support. During this time, you may not be surprised to know that he... Visit- Tried to kill himself? Well, no. This time he visited the Warren Hospital, his old alma mater, ER for uh, depression treatment. So that's, I mean, it's the emergency room. So that's a crisis situation. Sure. But he didn't attempt suicide. Uh, and he went back to a psych ward once again. In February 1998, Charles got a job at the Liberty Nursing and Rehab Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania, on a ward of patients who were dependent on respirators. So that's exactly where you want this guy. Sarcasm. Yeah, there were some problems noted with um, Charles's performance pretty early on, uh, like how he was. Oh yeah. 
He appeared to be giving patients drugs at unscheduled times. And that's it. And then you fire him. Finally, he was fired after having been seen entering a patient's room with syringes. Oh, my God. He's not even sneaky. Oh, but now by that time, Charles had killed one patient there, but had managed to blame it on another nurse's mistake. This guy sucks. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, obviously, yes, yeah, I, no disagreement here, Carrie. <laughs> November 1998, later that same year, he got a job at the Easton Hospital in Easton, Pennsylvania, and uh, on December 30th there, he killed another patient with digoxin. Now, in this case, the coroner's blood test looked for digoxin, showed lethal levels, but an investigation didn't gather enough evidence to tie the Ugh. death to any particular suspect. This is just a failure on literally every level. All this time, Cullen is continuing to find work with no problem. Which uh, is not easy. Due to, well, at the time, a serious shortage of nurses in the U.S. You, if you were a nurse, a well-trained nurse, especially a nurse with job experience... You have a job. If the that's hard to believe because I feel like everyone's a nurse nowadays. You well, know? nowadays because they marketed well for the uh, for the for the positions, right? Also, at the time, there was no mechanism. There was no on a state level, on a national level, there was no mechanism for reporting nurses with a history of problems with mental health or uh, employment issues. All you had was kind of the recommendations of these people, and hospitals didn't want to have the. <laughs> idea that they had employed dangerous negligent people out there because that's a liability issue and hospitals more than almost anything are afraid of lawsuits yes and so hospitals are also unlikely to report incidents and um you know they're going to give recommendations to prior employees because they just don't want a stink raised at any cost just don't say anything then, you know? It's like, don't recommend, don't actively recommend this psychopath yeah. that you suspect has been poisoning people to cover your ass. It's so incredibly selfish on every level. It's It's actually stunning and amazing. And it also, I mean, it's not the last time we're going to see it in this story. No, and I've, I've, you know, the, the podcast Dr. Death, which was about... Um, Kevorkian? Was, no, it was about a neural, not a neurologist, a um, brain surgeon, and he was really bad at his job. Multiple people died. Oh, not a murderer, just a bad surgeon? At, at some point, you're actively murdering someone, like when you go into work and you're high on cocaine and heroin. Oh, my God. And you do brain surgery? Um a lot of like spinal surgeries and stuff, but they finally put this guy away after years and years of like multiple hospitals, multiple problems. And it's just, it's really horrifying to, to hear these stories. Um, because again, you're putting so much trust and vulnerability into this institution, this hospital or doctor that you go to. And you have to trust that they're going to help you or else you're not going to get help, right? So it's really terrifying to think of that being twisted in any way. But at the end of the, the, the day, they are always looking out for themselves more than you. And that's also pretty terrible. Yeah. And in the case of Charles Cullen, those institutions looking out for themselves instead of their patients would 
allow Cullen to kill at least 18 more people after the break. <sighs> My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Lots of things are a struggle right now. School, work, even something as simple as going to the grocery store, it could feel overwhelming. But one thing that shouldn't be overwhelming is accessing mental and emotional care. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is the leader in online counseling with over 4,000 licensed counselors on the site and over 500,000 people who have gotten counseling to date. The mission of BetterHelp is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. I've been using BetterHelp for the better part of this year, and honestly, I don't know how I would have gotten through 2020 without it. And, of course, Sean and Poe. When I need to talk to my counselor, I can just text her and I can schedule chats, phone calls, or video calls for longer sessions. This means I have flexibility to set a session during the week, or during busy weeks, I can just shoot her a message here and there when I have time. Take control of your mental and emotional well-being. BetterHelp is a great place to start. For 10% off your first month subscription of BetterHelp, go to our podcast link at www.betterhelp.com slash scary and see how good it can feel to push past the struggle and find hope in a new day. That's www.betterhelp.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y for 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Get professional counseling anytime, anywhere, because you deserve to be happy. Welcome back. When last we left you, it was the end of 1998, and Charles Cullen, a murderer of 20-plus people at this point, had just gotten away with another murder, this one at Easton Hospital in Easton, Pennsylvania, now, this was the first murder in which the autopsy of Cullen's victim actually showed the lethal levels of drugs he'd, he'd given them. Mm -hmm. But the investigation around the crime was inconclusive, and he was able to move on. Did he ever say how he felt about doing these murders, or like any gratification or anything he got out of it? Like, he said he was doing it out of mercy, right? Did he feel better afterward did he have any sort of feeling about the families accusing him in the 60 minutes interview he seems a first of all he doesn't seem that interested in explaining himself or doing it like why are you doing an interview dude if you're not gonna say anything anyway whatever um he seems most interested in talking about how incompetent the hospital was and blaming it on like the hospitals so he he um, got gratification out of, like, putting one over on people? No, he says, with what he claims is that he was doing a mercy for these people, 
the closest thing I heard in that 60 Minutes interview to a statement of motivation was, and again, this is how he talks. It more or less felt like I needed to do something. And I did. Yeah, you need to jump off a bridge, Charles. Well, and Charles even admitted, and that's not really an answer to anything. No. He consistently admits that that the things he says aren't good motivations, aren't aren't good um, uh, excuses for ending a life. He knows that it was wrong. And he also says he probably wouldn't have stopped if they hadn't caught him. This guy sucks. Yeah, he's a serial killer. (laughs) But I did feel some sympathy for him, right? Like as a as a young person, though growing up the way he did and dealing with the tragedies that he did. But it doesn't mean you have to like be a murderer. This is a person who's made no attempt to do anything but feed into his own kind of sad sack existence and uh, uh, blame others for his problems. And um... there's definitely a lot of outward blame coming off of him, for sure. He's a victim. A lot of serial killers are victims. Or in their head. In their head, yes. Yes, obviously And not. some, a lot of them are victims of different kinds of abuse and stuff. But again, that doesn't give you the right to murder people. Or hurt anyone. In March 1999, because again, Charles Cullen never went long without work. He got a job at Lehigh Valley Hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Now you'll note he's moved south into Pennsylvania from New Jersey at this point. And he worked in the burn unit again. And within one month, he murdered one patient, attempted to murder another, and then quit his job when he felt the noose beginning to tighten once again. (sighs) The very next month, he was working at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Seriously, this guy could not go a month without being employed. He was just always employed. It's really insane. It's really crazy. This time, Charles was on the cardiac unit, and he would kill at least five patients and attempt at least two more before he left. Is this with the heart medication? I mean, if you're going to get away with it anywhere, it might as well be the cardiac unit where people are probably taking heart medication. Yeah, digoxin was his uh, drug of choice uh, during this whole period. And um, yeah, you're right. On the cardiac unit, digoxin would have been used to slow the heart rate. So that's probably why normal he, situations. he got away with so many mm-hmm. in one place. Well, and also, again, these just were drugs that people weren't necessarily testing for, usually, in an autopsy. And they're drugs that people weren't checking for being stolen. But they were definitely around. Yeah, always. Maybe he felt bad about uh, these murders as he was... I'm sure he... I don't know. I don't know if Charles... He doesn't seem to have had remorse, um, but... He certainly felt bad about himself because these suicide attempts continued. I hate to say it, but eh, this guy's a piece of shit. Who cares? This is the funniest of his suicide attempts. Uh, Cullen attempted to light a charcoal grill in his bathtub, hoping to die of carbon monoxide poisoning. Just inject yourself with a buttload of digoxin, you idiot. His neighbors smelled the smoke and called the fire department. And he was promptly hospitalized uh, once again, although he was back home the next day this time. It's clear to me that these are um, cries for help in in some sort of sense. And maybe he did like going to the psych ward or whatever, but 
obvious, like, it's really obvious to me that if he really wanted to die, he would have been able to pull it off. He, uh, as you point out, he, he managed it for dozens of other people. Yeah, just turn the syringe around. It's so strange, when he wanted a patient to die painlessly, why didn't he just put them in his bathtub and light a charcoal grill? It's obviously such a great method. Friggin' stooge. Um, in June 2001, now he's still working at uh, St. Luke's Hospital. But he took a job moonlighting at Sacred Heart Hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania, just briefly, because a nurse working there who'd heard rumors from Easton Hospital advised her co-workers, and then they threatened to quit en masse. And Cullen was dismissed, I think, before he worked a shift. I don't know who that nurse is, but they're a hero. I mean, they saved lives at their hospital. A hundred percent. Finally, a little suspicion started to build around Charles himself. When a co-worker at St. Luke's found vials of medication, empty vials, in disposal bins. They were specifically medicines that weren't valuable outside of the hospital and that wouldn't be useful for recreation. Stuff that junkies wouldn't steal. So, um, that was so strange. Why are they empty? Yeah. Right. And so he reported it and an investigation pretty quickly found that Cullen had stolen the medication. So case closed. Case closed. And the hospital confronted him with lawyers, Ugh. not police. God damn it. They said, here's the choice, Charlie. You can resign and we'll give you a neutral recommendation to your next employer. Or we'll fire you with no other consequences. I never want to go to the hospital in New Jersey or Pennsylvania ever. And so after stealing, after getting caught red-handed, stealing drugs to kill, that he used to kill five patients. Charlie voluntarily resigned from the hospital in June 2002 and got a, quote, neutral recommendation for his next job. This is so infuriating. His co-workers alerted the state DA about their suspicions that he had used those drugs to kill patients. And the DA's office um, did a limited investigation, but because they never looked into his past places of employment. Yeah, the, you never do that in a case. The case ended up being dropped due to a lack of evidence. A zillion stooges a lack have of conspired. Evidence that Charles Cullen was a murderer. The nurse knew about it. It's literally the hot goss. Ugh. It's... I'm so mad, Sean. The last hospital to employ Charles Cullen <sighs> would be Somerset Medical Center in Somerville, New Jersey, where he got a job in September of 2002. Uh, by the way, around this time, Charlie did have a girlfriend... It's the only time I can see him referenced having a girlfriend after he got divorced from his wife. Uh, nonetheless, his depression did seem to be getting worse around this time, not better. He would work there for just over a year, during which time he killed no less than 13 patients. 13 in a year? Yeah, you see serial killers uh, start to almost like lose control toward the end of their careers. And Berserker mode. That's why they get caught. They get sloppy. They start going crazy it's like it's like getting high basically um you know you could do one murder here one murder there but after a while it's not going to feel the same you have to do two murders here and two murders there it's uh it's why people get caught 
like Ted Bundy said, you know, sometimes you just don't know where you put the tire iron or whatever. Yeah, you free, sometimes you forget to put, you, you've done the thing a thousand times and then you forget where you put the wrench or whatever mm-hmm. that quote is. For these crimes, Charlie would use uh, digoxin, his usual weapon of choice, as well as insulin, which he had used before. And at this point, he was always, uh, he was also sometimes poisoning patients with epinephrine, adrenaline. Yeah. Which, um, digoxin, I'm relatively sure, would uh, more or less just stop your heart. Yeah, wouldn't epinephrine, I mean, um, would it give you like a heart attack or something? Like Insulin obviously would give you low blood sugar, so I think you would kind of subside into a coma and mm-hmm. die that way. Um, epinephrine would be like pounding heart, yeah. chest pains. It's, a, it's an adrenaline rush to death, right? It, that sounds like a horrible way to die. But it also seems like something that they would be able to chart as it's happening. Like, oh, their heart rate's really up. Oh, if you inject enough, they're going to die pretty quick. And Charlie's doing these things at night. I hate him so much. He chose these drugs because, again, they'd be uh, missed less, right? These things don't get you high, so uh, people don't steal them and sell them to junkies or whatever. Even the adrenaline stuff? Yeah, even the adrenaline's not popular as a street drug. Well, it just seems like it would be kind of like speed, right? You know, you're... Yeah, but it's it's not really. It, you know what? I bet adrenaline is... I have no idea, but I bet it's expensive for relatively... Short. Short duration and like not very impressive effects compared to like, you know... Okay. A- actual speed, yeah. Because <laughs> um, it like... You know, it's just, that's something your body naturally produces. Although I guess so is DMT. Mm. So who knows? Um, anyway, these things like epinephrine aren't tracked like painkillers are, for example. Because painkillers are worth a ton on the black market because everyone's addicted to them. Suspicion at Somerset started to build as Charlie took his victims over the course of this year um, for a number of reasons. Uh, First of all, those computerized cabinet systems that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. those had gotten better. Well, thank God for that. They'd gotten more advanced, and the computerized cabinets at this hospital showed that the medicines Cullen was requesting weren't ones that his patients were prescribed. Yeah, and you would hope that, you know, it's it's not like an honor system on these things anymore. Maybe you have to scan them or something. I don't know if Charlie was getting used to using the machines or what, but it was also noted that he made many orders and then immediately canceled them or made many repetitive requests within minutes. Like, digoxin, 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 digoxin. Yikes. There were also pretty good and pretty comprehensive computer systems and records in hospitals now, and Cullen was seen accessing the records of patients that he wasn't assigned to like habitually which is weird why would you do that just pleasure reading or because it's it's all confidential information you charlie you're not supposed to be doing that Mm -hmm. in july of 2003 so charlie's been at this hospital for like 10 months at this point Mm -hmm. the new jersey poison control center uh their executive director called somerset hospital just to like have a he he insisted on a conference call with these officials where he uh let them know listen there's been at least four suspicious overdoses in the last year in your hospital and 
we think that means there's a good chance there's an employee poisoning patients. You think? Um, the, the way the poison control people noticed it was a pharmacist at the hospital had noticed it and called them up and said, like, listen, I noticed weirdness with some of these, like, missing drugs and these dead patients. And can you help me some figure out some doses? And the poison control guys were like, oh, my God. Yeah. So that was in July when they called and let the hospital bigwigs know. Um, the hospital wouldn't report anything to police until October. <sighs> And in that span, five more patients died. I have no words, Sean. I, I'm so mad. The last straw was Catholic priest Florian Gall, who died of a digoxin overdose. You may not be surprised to hear. And the police were called for this one because it uh, turned out the uh, it, A, it was uh, suspicious. He, it was noted that he had had a lethal dose of digoxin in his system. And it turned out the hospital had known of an incident in August when Charles Cullen had administered an insulin OD that turned out not to be fatal. They knew this? Yeah, and they never reported it. Why? Because nobody died, so no harm, no foul. Oh my god. They kind of slapped him on the wrist and said, nope, bad, Charles. But what about this one made them finally call the police? Well, one could be a mistake, two is a pattern, I guess. This was the 13th. Oh, I'm not saying they're good at their jobs. Oh, my God. Now that there was a bit of a pattern, the hospital started looking a into... A bit. The hospital started looking into Charles's past, finally. Jesus Christ. Et voila. <laughs> I have been vetted for entry-level jobs with my resume more thoroughly than any hospital has vetted this guy. Our friends just adopted a puppy and everyone on their... Um, I was a reference. I was called. No one called anyone in this case. Everyone on their reference list was called. Charles Cullen? No one could call about Charles Cullen? <sighs> I'm just so... I am so mad. The hospital was later torn into by uh, state officials for not reporting that incident earlier. Nonetheless, they fired him on Halloween of 2003, October 31st. Um, they didn't tell him why. They told Charles that he was being fired for lying on his job application. <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep it a secret from him. Now, I guess they had made the decision to fire him the day before they actually told Charles about it. Um, he notes in the 60-minute interview, like, annoyed about it. So they let me work an additional shift with the suspicion that I was harming patients, which is, you know, kind of a bizarre thing to do. Kind of, yeah. He's like, I have to agree with him on this one. But he's, like, real shitty about it. He's, he's like, real shitty about life, kind of, Kind of bizarre. You knew I was a monster. <laughs> it's your fault. Fuck, I hate people like this. Not even just murderers, but, like, the kind of people that's, like... Well, it's all your fault. Me, me, me. Now it was up to the police to try to get an investigation of this. Um, how helpful do you think the hospital was? Negative helpful. The detectives who investigated this case said, quote, they were very helpful by answering court-issued subpoenas. That was the extent of their cooperation. Sounds about right. Yeah, the hospital actually told the police that... <laughs> They didn't have any records from the drug dispensing machines because the machines could only hold 30 days of records and they were all automatically destroyed. Sure. Why not? And then police just 
asked the manufacturer who immediately said that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. They they stopped short of saying the hospital had obstructed justice, but they certainly didn't help it along. Oh my god. The investigators began to interview nurses, and eventually they got to an Amy Lofrin. Amy was, um, she, you know, one of the nurses who worked with Charlie, and she liked him. She was initially hostile because she was um, angry about him being fired. She didn't think it was fair. She thought it had to be a mistake. Um, you see, Amy said Charles was super professional, uh, always on time. She kind of looked up to him. He was an experienced nurse. He'd been on the job for 16 years. And she said he was a great nurse who was all about the work. Show up at the job and let's go. Let's go murder some people. <laughs> Um, Amy, you're on the wrong side of history. She found out pretty quickly. The cops sat her down. They showed her the records from the drug cabinets. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, there was no confirmation bias, denial thing. She was just like, oh, my God. She apparently knew instantly that this had to be true. And um, she not only helped with the investigation by recording her phone calls with Charles, um, she actually got him to meet her at a restaurant to discuss his firing uh, and she wore a wire some real right, secret I'm starting stuff. to come around on amy um and in this restaurant meeting she like tried to get charles to admit it she was like charles just, i i well, all, all the things they're saying is, is it, it just tell me is it true i need to know i can help you and um well, Charlie claims he suspected she was wired. In any case, he, he wouldn't say any more than, I want to go down fighting. I hate him. Um, I will say Charles seems to like Amy just fine. He says she's a good nurse and a caring nurse, and that she turned him in because she thought it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad we have you vouching for her, Charlie. <laughs> the first... Um, I'm sure she has that on her resume. The first recorded confession uh, of Charles, I, I think Amy got on the on the phone. Mm-hmm. But then the police were able... The police arrested him on December 12th, 2003 on one count of murder and one count of attempted murder. And that's the priest and the insulin incident. Yes. Okay. And on December 14th, he confessed to police uh, in the murder of Florian Gall and the attempted murder of Jin Kyung Han. In the same confession, he told investigators that he had killed maybe about in the range of more or less 40 patients over the last 16 years. In April 2004, he pled guilty to killing 13 um and attempting two others at Somerset uh, Memorial Hospital. His plea bargain included uh, no death penalty. State can't pursue death penalty. I'll, I'll admit to everything. Mm-hmm. A month later, he pled to three more murders in New Jersey. In November 2004, he pled to six more murders and three more attempts in an Allentown court. Um, this was apparently a bit of a circus hearing, at which point uh, or where Charlie would... Pr- participate and cooperate and yes sir i'm pleading to six merged yes i do and then at a certain point he just started to interrupt the proceedings to yell your honor you need to step down okay jack nicholson relax he was eventually restrained and gagged 
Thank God. Like they stuffed a rag in his mouth and duct taped oh, I, it. Oh, I hope it was an old sock. And he continued going, This guy sucks. On March 2nd, 2006, he was finally sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences, which would leave Charles Cullen eligible for parole in 2403. During his sentencing hearing, um, 20 victims' family members, sobbing with rage and shock and sadness, confronted him and asked him for some justification of what he had done to their families. One woman, uh, the granddaughter of one of the victims, brought out a dictionary and read aloud the definition of vermin Mm. and said, that's you, a small, objectionable animal. And guess what? There ain't no doors out of hell, baby. Damn. She said baby. (laughs) Good for her. She sounds like a mobster. Throughout the entire hearing, Cullen said nothing, stared at the rug the whole time, and refused to acknowledge the families uh, of his victims. As part of his plea deal, he is supposed to help identify as many of his victims as possible, although there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of progress on that after his initial confession. So, I mean, um, if he doesn't remember them initially how is he going to remember them you know unfortunately that seems like a serial killer just classic jail boondoggle to me yeah i'll tell you about more murders give me fries or whatever Mm -hmm. following the trial most if not all of the hospitals where these murders took place were sued by the families of their victims good charles's victims uh, arguably the hospital's victims as well um oh i'm arguing yes their victims those cases were without exception settled out of court and so the documents are totally sealed from the public we don't know which way they went i would assume those families victims got some money because these hospitals oh, yeah that, that's what usually happens in malpractice i mean it's like 99 percent of the time unfortunately that's usually a a condition of the settlement is that everything has to be sealed and everything's secret now, we'll never know, because it doesn't seem like Charlie's doing... Even if even if Charles Cullen was helping identify, actively helping identify all of his victims, it's almost impossible that we'll ever know exactly how many people he killed. He later told investigators that there were times in his, quote, career, that he had been dosing three and four people a week... And he didn't always track their outcomes afterward. Some of these people... So what's the point? Some of these people would make it. Some of these people wouldn't. Like, if he didn't even know if they died, what's the point? Well, I think usually he probably knew that they died. Charles Graber, the author of The Good Nurse, says he would be surprised. Quote, as would anyone I know with any knowledge of the case, end quote. Uh, if Cullen's body count wasn't at least in the high hundreds. I don't think that's crazy at all. It's probably likely. Graben says Charles sees himself as a victim. And as a victim, he's entitled to lash out uh, any way he wants in order to make things right. I think this is a guy who... um, doesn't have any control over anything... In his life? Certainly not his love life or his mental health. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't seem to hold on to a relationship or get the women he does want, you know, a- after he gets uh, divorced from his wife. He can't keep himself out of mental hospitals. He obviously can't be happy, so he's not, he doesn't have control over himself. Um, but at work, Charles Cullen gets to play God, save people if he wants to, or kill people who wouldn't have died otherwise. He can, yeah, play God. He can really have a place where he can save lives, take lives, um, just where the things he does and the choices he make really, really matter. I don't think that's something he had anywhere else in his life. No, and I think that's why a lot of these um, killer nurse, killer doctor types do what they do. I think it's also just an incredible amount of selfishness where so many people that go through trauma, especially as children, they come out more empathetic, kind-hearted people. Like, not more, but like to be that to the world, to try and do good in the world because good wasn't done to them. But to go the complete opposite way and just make so many people suffer because you suffered mm-hmm. is just the most selfish thing in the world. And not the 40 people he killed because... Um, but I mean, yeah. I'm sure some of them suffered oh, yeah. in their deaths, but the families, like he knew what it was like to have people die around him and, and grow out, uh, grow up without them. With with Why are you inflicting that pain on other people? What good all, is that going to do? Especially, yes, with all the lip service he pays to how much his mother's death you know affected him you just did this 40 plus times over to other people you're a monster yeah and then the hospitals i can't even get into the selfishness and disgraceful behavior just avoiding lawsuits hideous it's like i i have no words i am i'm speechless this isn't the the biggest uh, the biggest names in serial killing are all from like the seventies and eighties. It feels like mm-hmm. this is not very long ago. No, like you you're in the two thousands for some of these. I was in high school when Charles Cullen was arrested. Yeah, like that. I I think I was in middle school. That seems too recent to be comfortable. Because then it's like, well, what has really changed since then? Lots. In hospitals. Lots. Um, hospitals, uh, I believe, give all nurses background checks when they hire them. Probably a good idea for people who have lives in their hands. There are, like... If you're going to background check someone adopting a rescue dog, maybe do that for your nurses that literally can pull the plug on someone if they want to there maybe are, there are state and national registries for problems like people who have done uh, uh, terrible like malpractice things like this there were dude there's a lot of changes have been made uh, primarily with how much hospitals have to report incidents that happen but even the doctor death case that was very recent as well you know it's uncomfortably recent yeah <laughs> Uh, and Uncomfortably Recent is also the name of your upcoming indie folk album. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. I just play ukulele and yodel. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. 
The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. This episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. Do you have what it takes to go into the mind of a serial killer? The body? The soul? Or perhaps to solve a horrific case? When you join Hunt a Killer, you receive a box of cryptic clues mailed to you each month to test your detective skills and challenge even the most brilliant minds in a game designed to give you a journey into the mind of a killer so you can escape and I hope you escape with the answers that you need. Input our code SCARYSQUAD20 for 20% off. That's SCARYSQUAD20, S-C-A-R-Y-S-Q-U-A-D-2-0 for 20% off when you sign up for your first subscription box at huntakiller.com and find out if you have the guts to hunt a killer. That's again, SCARYSQUAD20 for 20% off. Hunt a killer. Join the hunt today. It's the end of the world as we know it. Nice. We've got a local-ish story for you this week. On April 2nd, mysterious shaking booms were felt and heard across southeastern Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, at least 100 different social media reports were recorded after 10 a.m. Eastern Time last Friday, referencing houses and ground shaking, along with a booming sound, followed by brief silence and a second boom. Wait, we heard no such thing. Well, not everyone heard it, but some people did. Well, what the hell? (laughs) We got a podcast to produce. Come around here and do some booms. I know. Boom on over here. The geographic area of the reports spanned from north of Boston, Massachusetts, to the coast of Rhode Island. Usually such a large geographic area would be associated with a quake magnitude strong enough to be detected by the U.S. Geological Survey seismometers. But USGS geophysicist Robert Sanders told NBC News in Connecticut that nothing was detected. So probably wasn't some sort of quake. Right. So what was it? Well, Sanders stated that what people felt was likely either a sonic boom, perhaps caused by an aircraft, which would be crazy across three states, Mm -hmm. or some other atmospheric event. But he would not make a guess as to what caused the phenomena, like officially. So he's basically saying it's thunder, you dopes. I mean, it, it could be this, it could be that. A similar loud ground-shaking boom followed by silence and a second boom was recently reported in Southern California last month. Mm. NBC Boston meteorologist Pamela Gardner said military activity off the south coast or a meteor or space debris exploding high up in the atmosphere could also be potential explanations. Fascinating stuff. Um, I hope it is a superhero. Yeah, that would be cool. 
You That'd know? be cool. Sonic Boom. Is there a superhero named Sonic Boom? Uh, Should be. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. That feels like it would have been done as a 90s cartoon, but I, I don't know it. Well, put a pin in it. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to draw that comic? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know me. I'm a big drawer. Yeah, you draw me across the table with those bedroom eyes. Oh, my God. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. Uh, those parts are not just empty words. They really, really help. Please do it or just grab a friend's phone and subscribe for them to our podcast. Yeah, hopefully they'll like it too. Special thanks to our top-tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, and Robin McCabe. We love you all. So very much. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can check Kyle out at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. This has been a production of Longboy Media. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.